Hey, good morning. How's everybody? Great. Awesome. Hello, great. You look great. I see some faces we haven't seen for a while. And we're missing some that we don't haven't seen for a while. But you guys know you can always just step in anytime. And hopefully anytime you come will be a blessing. Huh? Um, so this the past year we've been covering uh, the fruits of the spirit. And uh, last week we did a little kickoff um, just reminding us about the Holy Spirit and what his function is in our, in our lives and what he means to us. And um, it's just a good reminder. I think we all felt it, just the need to remember, um, you know, to, to walk in the spirit, we have to be filled with the spirit. And that means being, um, having a clean heart. And um, so we talked about the difference between having a Pharisee's heart and a heart of Jesus and what that looks like. You can get the podcast now and catch up on that lesson. And uh, it just it, we just talk about things that would, um, you know, just help us to see deep inside. And, um, you know, the Pharisee loves self. They love rules. They're actually not crazy about other people. They're very judgmental of other people. Um, they like their own righteousness. And they're horizontal. They like to please people. They like to look good to others. And the heart of Jesus loves God and loves man. And their relationship is vertical. They like, they want to be in a relationship with God. That's the most important thing to them. And that, that bleeds out into their relationship with others. I'm just gonna... So the heart of a Pharisee wants to impress and the heart of Jesus wants to bless. So that's kind of the things that we talked about last week. And we were reminded of the fact that the Holy Spirit seals us into the family of God, seals us for eternity as a child of God. If we've confessed our sins and accepted Christ as our Savior, once a child of God, always a child of God. And the Holy Spirit keeps that place for us. He brings his word to our mind. He brings God's word to our mind. Maybe there's something that's come up in your life and you're struggling and all of a sudden you remember, oh, oh yeah, that's what God's word says. Well, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. And also he convicts us. You ever say that one thing and you're like, oh, I should not have said that. Better yet, I shouldn't have even thought that. That's the Holy Spirit working with your heart and spirit. So the Holy Spirit is key to all that we talk about when we talk about walking in the spirit. Let's just go, since it's the beginning kind of of the semester, back into Galatians. Let's go together to Galatians 5. I'm just going to read that portion just to get us where we are. Thank you, Dee. That feels better. <laughs> I can hear myself now. Um, and so the book of Galatians is written by Paul to the Galatian people, and they were new believers, and um, Paul had established a church in the area, and they were beginning, even though they knew the truth, they were beginning to kind of embrace the law. They, there was Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jewish people were convinced them, hey, you're a believer, but you still need to be circumcised and you still need to follow the law. And um, so they were getting a little confused and Paul's like, wait, wait, wait. He says, um, I'm gonna read you what he says, starting in verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You notice in that list there's some overt sins and there's some inner sins. Our inner thought life counts as much. Our heart counts as much as what we do. I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these there is no law. And these who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So that's what it looks like. He gave us a big, a really good picture of being in the spirit or being out of the spirit. So we have something to look at. We have a template. We know what it's supposed to look like. So this week, we're going to talk about the word good. And actually, we're going to talk about the word good two weeks. Today, we're going to talk more about the goodness of God. And next week, we're going to talk about good as in Titus 2 good, like our responsibility to do good. And in the English language, good doesn't tell you much. It's good, like, that was a good piece of cake. Or, um, was, I had a good time. And it's kind of in a little train of good, better, best, right? So good's kind of a, it's kind of a uh, word, you know? But when we look at what God say, says about the word good, it's going to open our eyes to what that really means and then help us to understand better. When we think about um, the goodness of God, that word goodness is very highly linked to the word kindness. There's a goodness that is kind, right? So um, when we think about, and in, in just studying the passage, there are so many times that the word good is used, but this particular word is ag agathos, I'll get it, agathosuna, sune, agathosune, got it. And that uh, only appears four times. <clears throat> and in this passage, it, it means, um, it was the absolute goodness of God. It's integrity, it's honesty, and it's virtue. And, it's, and, kind, and being kind is strong. We think about um, uh, I, one of the articles I was talking about, the fact that the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, that Mary, she... Uh, she really loved God, and it was a good thing to do, and God didn't reprimand her for it. He took that kindness, that good that she did in a kind way. So there was no judgment there about her lifestyle or what she had done. He just accepted her repentance. So, um, and we think about when we read in Romans uh, 2, verse 4, I always love this verse. It talks about um, it's that kindness, it's that goodness that draws us. It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So that's that, that goodness and that kindness that reflects God. So when we read about these things that are expected of us in, in the Holy Spirit, that is expected to be the fruit, we know that um, 
we can we glorify God. You know, if I'm a believer and I'm really hard on people and I'm mean and I'm nasty and I'm unkind, that's not going to draw others to God. And it's not a good picture of God. And as a matter of fact, it blasphemes God. As we learned in Titus 2, if we don't fulfill those things that God commands us of us, which one of those things is good, we blaspheme God. So if we put Christian on our name and we, and we claim to be one of his children, we need to walk worthy. We need to walk in that spirit. So it glorifies God. It indicates who we belong to. Wow, that woman's really different. She's really different. I wonder why. Well, it's because she's from a different place and her father's a different kind of guy, right? She's a daughter of the king. So should, you should be different. We should look different. And it's a witness to others. So the word good is a very powerful word. It has to do with who we are inside, but also what we do. How do we act? Do we, act, do we take that goodness and act in a kind way? And that doesn't mean compromising the truth. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit here in a few minutes. So when you think about the summation of God, he's holy and he's just and he's righteous and he's merciful. He's kind and he's good. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's all powerful. Think about how wonderful he is. And when we think about all those things, that tells us that God is what? He's good. If you doubted any of those things, you would doubt God. But it's his absolute, it's not that he is, the, that he acts those things, he is those things. And if we can't trust that he is those things, then we lose faith. And he wants our good. I know we all love this verse in Romans. Romans 8. I want to start at verse 26. I have put verses on your page. We're not going to read through all of them, but there's a couple I thought were worth pausing at. It just ties in so much with this uh, Galatians passage. It says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there we are in that deep relationship with the spirit as we walk. And we know that all things work together for good, not to everybody, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if we believe God's word, he's telling us that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what's going on, he is good. And he's going to work things out for good for us, and we have to trust them. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So it's a process. He calls us to himself. He allows us to suffer. But he makes all that to work to good, we, to the point that we glorify him. And I have to tell you, that must sound like nonsense to somebody who doesn't know him. But those of us who know him, and I know that each one of you has had a trial and suffering and hard, hard things that have happened. And as believers, we know that God works those things together for good. I was talking to a, a friend recently who I hadn't seen in a long time. We were kind of exchanging 
you know, just catching up on the things that had happened in our lives over the last maybe five years. And we both admitted, you know, we've had some hard times. I wouldn't have traded them because God meets us there. He meets us in those hard times. Charles Spurgeon says, God is good. Not because he causes things that seem to feel, seem or feel good to happen in our lives. But because in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. Is it worth it to be that close to the Lord? Life is temporary. Life is temporary. It's worth it to go through those things in his economy. We don't always see that. It's hard for us to see. So God does allow suffering. You know, when, um, when God's goodness is questioned, that's a, that's a battleground for Satan. He loves to make us doubt. And I really feel like somebody may be struggling with this today. Um, um, I know for myself, I was a believer a long time before I really struggled with doubt. And then I was having uh, some conversations about God's will with a friend, and she believed very differently than I did, and it really rocked my world. And I went spinning deep into a into doubt, and I had to really hold on tight to God to stay in my faith. And so, if doubt hits you, though, we don't need to be afraid. We just need to draw in closer to God. Maybe it's a circumstance in your life, or maybe it's. Um, you know, just something that you see or, you know, for whatever reason, or maybe things that you hear that you think are easier to swallow than, than the hard things of the word. And they may cause you to doubt. It's okay to question, but look to God for those answers. We're going to question. And what we can know about those times is if we're questioning, God can use those times to bring us closer. Sometimes those are the very things that bring us in closer to him. If we really have to look at why we believe, he'll lead us back to him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. But God doesn't want us to stay in that doubt. And I will say that my season probably lasted a year and it was scary. And I prayed, Lord, please relieve me of this doubt. And I would start to <clears throat> pray and work thing, through things and I would just, it would just get slammed down over and over again. It was really, really hard. But it's not unusual and it's okay. So some things to that kind of can help you if you're in that place. Know that it's a season and that God can use it for good. Know the real deal. Know God's word. And then the lies will be apparent. Don't play with it. Think about it. And then find the verses that combat it and memorize those verses and dwell on it. Seek out fellow believers, people that you know love the Lord, that have a sincere love of the word, that you know will encourage you. And on the other end of that, if someone comes to you in doubt, don't, don't be offended or give a trite answer. Give them a hug and tell them, look, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you're struggling that. Let's, you know, I'll be glad to sit with you. What can I do? I know in those times for me, people who spoke, I love to find people who spoke like they really believed it, you know? Like 
They were passionate about God's word. They didn't doubt it for a second. I needed that. I needed to hear it. To think about Jan Larrabee, you know, somebody who's lost two children. And her faith is strong. And I would listen to her. Why, you know, I want what she has for her. I want that kind of faith. So it's a choice to stay in the battle. You don't want to give up. God doesn't want to lose his warriors. He wants us in the battle. It's okay, though, to step back for a few minutes and, and gather yourself back up. And trust God. You know, remember, remember the story of Job. God took everything, well, Satan, God allowed Satan to take everything from him. And Job said, even though he's slain me, I love him. I love God even though, even though, even though I don't understand it, even though I can't make sense of it, even though it's hard, even though maybe it's final. Look, just, just keep your eyes open for stories and testimonies. You know, I spoke about Jan. Who do you know that I... Um, can give a good testimony. Maybe it's from a Christian magazine, or maybe it's somebody at church, or somebody you know. Lean into those testimonies. It's the same God. And be willing to give your testimony to someone else who's in doubt. You know, we just need to, those, the moment we give those testimonies, it's like building a little altar to God. It's like remembrance. Like, this is my gift back to God. This is my, my, um, my offering to him. Don't keep those wonderful things secret. Share them. Stand on the rooftops and shout that God did this for me. And that would plant a seed in someone's heart. And don't forget to be thankful. When things are hard, we forget to be thankful. There's a psalm that says, offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Right? Oftentimes we don't feel thankful. That's the hardest time to be thankful when you don't feel like it. You know, you're not able to pay a bill this month. I don't feel very thankful for that. Someone's in the hospital and they're hurting. I don't feel very thankful for that either. Just, you can thank God that you know that he's, especially if that person is a believer, that he is working in their life for good. And it's okay. And sometimes it's hard to watch in someone else. It's hard to watch them go through something and you want to make it better but maybe God is using that in that person's life right and never give up hope right as long as someone's alive there's hope they don't have to you know no matter how hard something seems there's hope no matter how much I doubt God is good. And don't just say God is good when things are going good, right? It always kind of hurts me. It's like, you know, something great happens and you're so much rejoicing when you do They say, oh, God is so good. And you're like, yeah, God's good, but it would still be good if it hadn't happened, you know? This thing of doubting, I think, is pretty, pretty large, looms large in our society right now. The number of people who profess to be Christians has gone down quite a bit. The number of people who say that God's word is the absolute word of God has diminished greatly. So I think that all stems from doubt. I know there's other things, but I think doubt is a really big part of that. So what I wanted to talk about 
has been on my heart a lot is this movement in the church. And this is a Titus 2 message. It is a keeper of the home message. It is a beware message because you're going to go to church. You're going to choose a church. Your kids are going to be in church. Um, they're going to hear things in school. We just need to be aware what's going on, okay? So I'm sure everybody's heard of the progressive movement. Do you have some sense of what progressive movement is? <clears throat> well, in the church, if you're my age, you knew that as a universal church. And um, it has kind of developed and grown and gotten bigger. And this idea of the progressive church um, is pretty... It's actually not a Christian movement, though it talks the talk and it claims to be Christian. It's not. And so um, I just want to kind of go through some of the main tenets so that when you're talking with your children um, or your friends or you're witnessing or whatever, you'll, you'll, know, you'll recognize, you'll know what you're looking for. And the really interesting thing about it is they don't, the progressive movement doesn't use scripture to argue or to debate okay they use their feelings and their tradition and their experience and in the christian world those things pay play a part but they're the caboose you know god's word drives the engine it's the real deal this is where the truth comes from and the progressive movement has really just let go of god's word i want to talk through that okay isaiah 5 21 Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And woe to those who called evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Are you ever listening to the news or a commentary and you're wondering, what on earth? How could that how could they actually come to that kind of conclusion that's completely opposite of God's truth? Well, it's because it is completely opposite of God's truth. When we talk about the system of belief of a people, we talk about morals usually. Everybody understands morals, believe it or, believe it or not. But morals is our, is our conduct, is our code of conduct. And for all of time, that code of conduct has been pretty same, pretty much the same for everyone. Everyone believed in the Ten Commandments, and everyone believed that a woman and a man made a family, and everybody believed that uh, you know authority was to be respected. There was just a whole tenet of things that people would not have argued with you about. They may not have been willing to obey it or walk to, according to it, but they would admit, yes, we agree on the set of morals, and people who break those morals, there's consequences. But what happens? When you change that code of conduct, everything changes. Um, it really struck me the day I was listening to a, um, a piece of news and they were quoting someone who said, it's our moral obligation to make sure that their abortion is available for all women. Our moral obligation. Well, whose morals are those? Not my morals, not the morals of the Bible. That's somebody else's morals and where are those coming from? Well, they're coming from this progressive way of thinking. And even our government, you know, and I think the thing that between the difference between like the universalism when we were younger and the progressivism now is that progressivism has a foothold. It has a foot in the door of the government. It's political now. You know, there's things that are being legislated that are absolutely anti-God. 
And it's a much, much more ferocious animal. And it's much more prevalent. And there's many more people who believe it. <laughs> you know, out of the mouth of babes, you just, you know, even your kids will come home and say things like, what, what? <laughs> you know, so we're going to talk about kids too. So this deconstruction of the Christian um, worldview is, is marked by several things. Um, and on the back of your notes, you have two links. One is the American Heretic. That's a video. And it's about, um, it actually kind of puts progressivism in a good light, but it shows it in a way that you will immediately see, wow, these people, they have let go of God's word. And then the other one was just a fantastic one by Sean McDowell, who's the son of Josh McDowell, you know, um, more than a carpenter. He wrote that book. So this is his son, who's an apologist. And he invited a progressive pastor in to talk to him. And it wasn't combative. I loved it because you could just listen to the conversation. And Sean would ask him questions. And then his answers were mind-blowing. This, this young man was grown, was raised in the church, in a conservative church, with, with parents who believed. And he has completely turned and walked the other way. And it just, and when, when Sean would ask him questions, he didn't use the Bible to answer. Well, I just feel that. I just feel that. Well, but the Bible says this. Well, well, I don't care. I just, that's what I feel. But I would encourage you to watch it. It's a little lengthy. I don't think I would encourage you to watch it unless, with your children unless they are, unless you did it in bite sizes or you um, had very mature children. Because I think it could maybe bump somebody that direction. Just because, you know what? The Christian faith is hard sometimes. And so, but, and the people are doubting. So they're looking for an easier way. And let's look at some of the ways that they do that. So one of the comments this young man made was, um, it's not, it doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what we do. So with that scenario, um, that can completely negates Acts 16.31, which says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And I would encourage you, ladies, if you're listening to, if you decide to listen, sit down with a notebook, pause it when they ask the question, see if you can come up with an answer. See if you even recognize, you know, if you, if you hear this one man speaking, you think, well, that makes sense, then alarm. <laughs> you need to get to your Bible. So let's, you know, take the time to, to study and show ourselves approved. So when our kids come home, we can say, oh, well, well that's interesting. And be able to offer God's wisdom. And then Matthew 10, 33, Jesus talks about, if you deny me, I'll deny you. So they're basically, they deny the, um, the, that God, that Jesus is part of the Godhead. They deny that Jesus is God. He's just this, yeah, he was here. You know, he's a good guy. Yeah. And you know, when I tell you these things, you're like, well, this is nothing new under the sun, Jennifer. I know. But I'm just telling you, it's out there in a big way by people that your children are going to respect. And we have social media now. And they can get it anywhere. And their friends are watching it. And so there's this pervasive onslaught to our kids of things that are anti-Christian. Ladies, we need to have our eyes open. We don't need to be afraid. We need to study. We need to be ready. We have a big job to be keeper of home. 
So they also believe the Bible has no authority. And they don't believe in this inspired word of God. So, um, you know, what we learn in, in um, study is that God inspired the writers. God inspired Paul what to say. He used Paul's personality, but he inspired him and gave him what to say. And any of the writers of the Bible, this word of God is inspired. It is the true word of God beginning to end. We're not to take any away. We're not to put any in. But they don't hold that. They say the word is inspiring. As in a poem is inspiring, right? It's got some good stuff in it. You know, take this one, leave that one. They don't understand the battles of the Old Testament, so let's just throw it out. Like, oh, I can't believe that's, that, that could have been true. Throw that out. They also don't believe in the doctrine of sin. That is a very small part. They don't believe in heaven. I mean, sorry, they don't believe in hell. Only heaven. Everybody gets to go there, and nobody's accountable for sin. Do you see where this can lead? Everybody do your own thing. Be wise in your own eyes. Whatever floats your boat. My truth. I almost called Caleb this morning. The, um, you know how they talk in between the music. I was trying to get a little jam on coming down. And um, the, the woman was talking about being brave and talking about your faith. But what she said was, speak your own truth. I'm like, holy cow, don't ever Ever let that come out of your mouth. Speak the truth of the word of God. Do not speak your own truth. Well, I'm a, I'm a boy today. Well, I'm a furry today. Does anybody know about the furries? You can go to school dressed like an animal if you want to. There's pictures. Look it up. Furry. And the teachers have to accept that. And talk to them like they're a bad character. That's a bunny trail. But don't speak your own truth. Our own truth is sinful. God says sin is bound up in the heart of man. My, my, my truth is selfish. It's jealous. It can be mean. It's true. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but it's true. Then that's for all of us. None of us escapes that sin. But these, you know, when these people are talking, they're very loving. And they're very accepting and just can't believe that God would ever draw a line, call something sin. They're very pious acting. They could easily draw in someone of, of little faith or someone young. They like to do a lot of good things. And you know what? I would give them credit for this. They do good things. They like to do things for the poor, for the immigrants and things. And the ch church can learn from that. Sometimes we get too centered, you know, into ourselves. My daughter's in a church in Chicago, and they they don't have anything but church on Sunday because they want people to get out in their community and mix with the people. You know, we can, I know ladies who are in five and six Bible studies a week. Come on, girls. You know, there's grandkids, and there's people at work, and there's friends. There's all kinds of people out there who could use our, our encouragement the wisdom from God's word. Are we really going to hold up for five or six Bible studies a week? So what? And then the women are competing against each other. That's our nature. We like wisdom. We like knowledge. Well, we don't, not so much wisdom, but knowledge. We love to learn. I'm guilty. I love it. I can't get enough. But I can't spend all day there on the mountaintop. God wants us down and working with the people. So I think the progressive movement has that right. 
And I think it's convicting. And I think we better think about it as a church. Church, what are we doing? You know, and when you heard this word, have you heard this term, emergent church? The emergent church is a progressive church. Just so you know, that's a key word for you. Make sure I cover them all. And they will say they believe in Jesus. We believe just like you do. We believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, which basically makes them a cult. If you're in any kind of a religion that denies the headship of Christ, the deity of Christ, you're in a cult because Christian means Christ. It's the very foundation of our church. And you can't argue with their feelings. You know, that's the Holy Spirit's work and job. So as a believer talking to an unbeliever, all you can do is plant the seed. You're not going to argue them into the kingdom. You know, but you can certainly speak the truth and God will work that in their lives. Um, this morning, even on um, at my Albert Moeller um, briefing, news briefing, he's talking about um, this Bishop John from the Church of England. And um, he's apologizing uh, to, um, to the progressive church. He said, I'm going to uphold the, these Catholic doctrines, but I don't believe in them. I apologize to all of you who this affects, but I just don't feel that God could, that this could be God's way. This could be right. So he doesn't believe it, so he's going to speak it. But that's a, that's a bishop. So it's, it has no, no bounds. So we as Christians have a choice. We have scripture, and the term would be sola scripture, only scripture. Or we can have secular wisdom, and that's anything outside. Now, what is our worldview? What do we weigh things against? How do we make decisions? How do we determine right and wrong? So I want to, what do we do? Let's look at Colossians 1. You guys can, might want to turn to this. This is such a great passage and so well loops into this. And encourages us. Uh, guys eat potato chips. Remember, thank you, John. Wish I had that for the whole Bible. <laughs> so Paul's talking about the um, people of Colossae. Just, just listen how this ties in. For this reason, we also. So he's talking about the fact that they were going through trials. But he was very thankful that they had this faith. And he says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Walk in the spirit, walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into his kingdom of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So that's pretty much telling us to hang on to God's spirit, right? To be strong in his word, to walk. So we don't need to get all upset about it. We don't need to really, well, you know, we don't go, need to go out looking for it. That's for sure. The progressive movement is going to come. It's going to try to encroach on your people, on your church, on your home. You're going to run into people and get up close to people. 
depends. So we just need to um, be willing to look at people as God does in love. I can love you, but I don't have to agree with you, right? I know, um, you know, it's, sometimes when you, I'll just go ahead and use my example. So my, my son, uh, you know, struggled with the drugs all these years. And I, when I was young mom, you know, I kind of saw all the drug people as the bad people and keep my kids away from them, which is a good thing. But my heart towards people in that position has certainly changed, right? And when I look at them, I can look them right in the eye. I can look past all of that and see a person. And I think sometimes we just see the sin. And I don't think that's what we're supposed to be focusing on. You know, we get all, there's sins that are just overt. And so they're easy to judge or to be, oh, I'm not like them. But if we all had to <laughs> post our latest sin on our forehead, you know, we'd all be guilty. We'd have a hard time looking at each other. But God wants us to look past that and into um, each other as a person. So I, I just want to encourage you to be intentional. If you have children or grandchildren, to be intentional about spending time with them. You know, Deuteronomy 6 is the one where it talks about, you know, when you sit in the house and you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, it is a full-time job. And if you are a mom and you be with your children as much as you can, I got to stay home with mine. I'm very thankful. Um, but be with them as much as you can. Pay as much attention as you can. Be careful who you expose them to. You know, a little person's not going to be able to fight that off. The progressive thoughts. As they get older, it's important to discuss it with them. You know, it has, it has changed so exponentially. You know, when my kids were home, we didn't have a computer until my kids were in high school. And I was like, you, we will never have one of these in our house. <laughs> Me and my wisdom, you know. But now it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's a full-time job. We all listen. When the kids are home, we all listen to the same TV show. We had one TV in the house. We had one telephone. We all did the same thing. And then came Walkmans, and then they shut you out with the music, and then the MTV and the channels on that. And then, you know, you had to be guarding your television. And now they can walk, they can walk out the door with this phone that takes them wherever they want to go. And they, got, they don't have one their friend does. We just can't take it for granted. So that means that we need to be open to our kids, not to overreact when they ask us questions. Oh, that's stupid. Where'd you hear that? Only an idiot would think that. No, let them talk. Listen, where'd they get that from? Why do they think that's true? What would be the consequences of thinking that? It takes time. It takes a lot of time. And we are all awful busy. And I think that's part of the plan too, that we stay so busy that we lose track. Slow down. Those people that are our children, our grandchildren, they are our responsibility. I asked a couple of my daughters what their thoughts were on, you know, if they were how much they were saying they're both in very different situations. My oldest daughter is in Europe and um, her husband's an officer in the army. So they've lived all over. And now they're in a, they, they get to go to American schools, which are usually pretty amazing, but this one, I guess, is not so great. But I, you know, so they, they see everything. They see everything. And I, I asked her, how do you, you know, what are your parameters for talking about this? She said, well, my kids know 
Number one, respect. It doesn't matter how much you disagree with anybody or no making fun of anyone, no pointing the finger at anyone, respect. Respect that person as a human. So I thought that was a really good place to start. And then my other daughter, Julia, that's in Chicago, said that she's, um, you know, that her kids seem to realize now that when they want to know what her opinion is, they'll ask her, what does the Bible say about that? You know, well, grandma and grandpa are divorcing. What does that mean? That's not us. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? What does God say about that? You know, and then she'll take them to the word. So to train our children that the Bible is the most important thing. And for them to hear that from us, we need to be walking in the spirit. Right? We need to be kind and good and loving and joyful. If I have a mommy who wears a big sad face and she's grumpy and she yells at me all the time and she says she loves Jesus, it falls flat. We can't afford it, ladies. We are ambassadors for Christ in our own home. And that is the most important place. You know, and this is a very important place. We had a um, Ruth visit us last week. And for those of you who do not know Ruth, she was a counselor here for many years. And she walked in, she goes, oh, there's still a remnant. We kind of look like a remnant, don't we? <laughs> very remnant. But you guys are a wonderful remnant. And um, I, we were just kind of talking about it at the table. I said, you know, these ladies, they get it. I love these ladies. I can't see your faces on Zoom, but I trust Dee to read on you if she needs to. But I see the most, I see the most sweet, open faces, and y'all come week after week because you know how important God's word is. And you go home and you apply it in your circle of influence. And that is making a huge difference on a lot of people. If you think about your children and their teachers and their friends and your churches, you ladies are the remnant. I just want to thank you so very much for your love for the Lord. He loves you dearly. You, you are important to him. And we, just, and we just need to make sure that we're staying close to him in the spirit. So the goodness of God, does anybody doubt that in their heart that God is good? Don't lose hope. Seek out your friends that are believers. Read the word. Find verses that uplift you. Find music that uplifts you. You know, it never fails that when I'm looking for comfort, I turn on Christian music or Rochelle stands up and says, sings just the, the one I needed to hear. And hymns are wonderful. They, they actually are scripture set to music. Hymns, just having that truth put in us, that's a big battle going on in there, especially when doubt has put its foot in the door. So if anybody's hurting that way, See, see one of us in here. Let us encourage you. Nobody's going to make fun or think less of you. We've all been through it. We've all had our times. So let's close in prayer. Dearest Jesus, we thank you for you, for who you are. Lord, we barely scratch, scratch the surface of understanding who you are. Lord, you are holy and you are good. You are just and you are good. You are righteous and you are good. You are kind and you are good. Lord, you're so far above us that often 
we can find ourselves in a place when we doubt. I pray that you would take those seeds of doubt out. Grow our faith. Keep us strong, Lord. Help us to encourage each other in your word. We thank you for the rest of this morning we have together. If anyone's hurting, Lord, I pray that they would seek um, comfort from one of us and your word. We thank you for this wonderful, wonderful place in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.